You're listening to The Whole Church Podcast. Our efforts to educate and unite the church are made possible thanks to our sponsors on Patreon. Please consider joining them for $3 a month where you'll get access to our extra content, like our Whole Church News series, where we go over the news, current events, and prayer requests of the church from across the globe today. Revelation 7, 9, and 10 from the Christian Standard Bible says, After this I looked, and there was a vast multitude from every nation, tribe, people, and language, which no one could number, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. This pericope of scripture comes right after the first six seals are broken and judgment is being rained down on earth, but before the final seal is broken. Uh, Dr. Longman, why do you believe the author included this image of unity, diversity, and worship in the middle of his exposition of the judgment of the earth? Well, I think that's a great description of the verse, unity, diversity, and worship. Uh, it's to remind us of the fact that the people of God are not from one single nation uh, or uh, one single group, but drawn from all around the world. And, you know, even though in the Old Testament, the focus is on Israel, one nation, from the very start in Genesis 12, one through three, we know that God made promises to Abraham, which included that he would bless Abraham and his descendants, as well as all the nations of the world. And so even in the Old Testament time period, we have a number of examples of people from other nations who are part of the covenant community, whether it's Ruth or Rahab or, or Uriah the Hittite or Shamgar, and, and probably a whole bunch of people we don't even know. But, uh, but it is true in the Old Testament time period that in order for these people to be part of the covenant community, they have to, in essence, leave their, uh, their nation of birth and join with Israel. But, uh, but again, I think it's a beautiful picture of the church that is drawn from all the nations of the world. Welcome to the Whole Church Podcast, everybody. I am one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll, and I am here for the sole function of announcing the greatest co-host to ever live, the one and only TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, took a long break, you know, yeah. seven days, I think. So <laughs> Something like that. Uh, also, we are joined once more by one of one of my favorite guests, uh, return guests, is uh, Dr. Trimper Lungman III. Um, there's just too much background for me to tell you everything he's done, but uh, Old Testament scholar, I think is probably the shortest way to say it. Recently, he has written a book as part of the Through Old Testament Eyes series, which is what we're going to talk about today. It's Revelation Through Old Testament Eyes by Trimper Lungman III. We're here to talk about that book, uh, what started it. Why is it important? All of that good stuff. If you want to hear more about Dr. Longman and kind of hear some of his story, you can go back to other episodes we've done with him in episode 85 and 118. Yeah. All right. Uh, you should also join in on the conversations happening on our Facebook group. 
Uh, the link is in the show notes. The group is called The Whole Church Group if you just want to look for it on Facebook. But uh, a lot of interesting things get talked about in there. Uh, you can't reach me there. Uh, you're going to have to try a little harder than that. <laughs> Personal yeah. mission. Yeah, but, TJ uh, doesn't have a Facebook, but you can talk to me Yeah, if you want for some reason. One thing, one thing, if you do like talking to me, that you'll always get. Uh, it, my favorite type, part of part of the show sometimes, but it's uh, my favorite form of unity. Um, and that, that's just silliness uh, because it's pretty darn difficult to really disagree when you're being as silly as I like to be. Uh, so today, we're going to start with our silly question. And uh, Dr. Longman, as always, TJ and I will go first, give you a little bit of extra time to think about it. Would you prefer to play doubles in tennis with a hobbit, a dwarf, a Christmas elf, or a goblin? So this one's multiple choice. TJ, hobbit, dwarf, Christmas elf, or goblin, who are you playing doubles with? Yeah, so I've had a few different types of doubles partners before. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's important to distinguish what kind of Christmas elf we're talking about. They're Uh, short. Every, Every one of these are short. Okay, so I can't have like Will Ferrell as my doubles partner. No, no, not, not this time. <laughs> okay, then I'm going to choose a goblin. I think goblin is the fastest option on the list. That's got to be what I'm going for because they can't make up for the height that I lack, which is usually what I look for in a doubles partner. So, yeah, that's pretty difficult for TJ. Yeah, I, um, yeah, I'm not. I, I personally, if I had to go through for one of these four, I, I'm terrible at tennis, so it doesn't really matter who I pick. Um, and see, here's the thing that I have to compensate for is that I'm very selectively competitive for the most part. I'm just too relaxed to really do well in sports. So I'm going to go with the dwarf because I feel like out of all of these, the dwarf is probably going to be the most competitive. He's going to be the one that's going to really be the driving energy of our team to make us try to win because he will threaten me until I actually play. Yeah. 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 So Dr. Longman. Well, it's all good to be with you both again. <clears throat> and um, yeah, well, actually, <clears throat> uh, until COVID, I was a squash player, not a tennis player. And but uh, and occasionally would play doubles squash. But I'll just pretend about tennis. Um, and I actually, I think I would go for The Hobbit uh, because, first of all, they seem like, on the one hand, kind of agreeable people to hang out with. Uh, and secondly, though, they can be quite competitive and persistent. After all, they made it to Mordor, right? So so even though I think you're right, Joshua, that, um, that dwarfs uh, have competitive, I, I think they'd have a hard time covering the court. But so would hobbits. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Would yeah. your answer change any if it was squash? Um, yeah, maybe I'd... I, I don't I don't think so but um, but squash is a lot of short jerky sudden motions maybe goblin for the reasons that TJ pointed out yeah you know, I was gonna do I think if it was squash it would have to be goblin oh yeah I mean yeah. Christmas elf Christmas elves have to be talented with their hands well that's true that's very true that's very true I don't want to stir the pot but so, you know, you're invoking Will Ferrell. Uh, oh, that man. If it were for Ferrell, it'd just be a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> so today we have you back on the, the regular show, the non-tennis related questions, uh, to talk about your new book, uh, Revelation Through Old Testament Eyes. But before we talk about that, uh, what can you tell us about the Through Old Testament Eyes series that it's a part of? 
Yeah. So um, my friend and one of my former editors from InterVarsity Press retired from InterVarsity Press and devised this series idea for Kriegel, and um, which is commentaries that are written that will bring out Old Testament background as a hmm. uh, help to understand the message of the book. And um, he very kindly, after choosing the Gospel of Mark himself, uh, gave me first choice. And <laughs> I thought that of all the New Testament books, Matthew, Hebrews, and Revelation are the most permeated with Old Testament thoughts and ideas, even though the book of Revelation never actually, you know, well, it doesn't quote, if it does at all, the Old Testament much, but they're like a lot of allusions. So I chose Revelation for the reason that I did a lot of work on Daniel and Daniel's one of the books, certainly not the only book that informs the book of Revelation, though it is the only other biblical book that is the same type of writing as the book hmm. of Revelation, namely an apocalyptic book, and indeed has the same message for their contemporary audiences, which still are still resonates for us today, which is, you know, even though you look out in the world and you think that evil is in control. That's not true. Really, God's in control, and he's going to have the final victory. So stay faithful. Don't give in to those forces of marginalization, persecution that are pressing in on you. Yeah, I didn't make it through. Uh, well, I listened through the whole audiobook, and then I got a yeah. physical copy of, of your book, and I didn't make it through the first chapter without ending up on an entire goose chase studying different commentaries I have of the book of Daniel. Um, I imagine another one that might end up being a goose chase for me is uh, with the candles in uh, the book of Zechariah. I, I can yeah. see it being a thing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So, so in the book, I don't know. I, I haven't listened to the audio books. <laughs> I don't know whether they do everything, but I have essays. I go through the book of revelation uh, section by section, verse by verse, but then I also have essays in there and, Five of the some of the essays are things like uh, Zechariah in the Book of Revelation, or mm -hmm. and Daniel in the Book of Revelation, Psalms in the Book of Revelation, Ezekiel in the Book of Revelation. Uh, did I mention Psalms? But there are about five <laughs> books that are in particular, or that that in particular echo throughout the Book of Revelation. Oh yeah, yeah, it was, it was pretty interesting. So. I don't know if you could speak to this, but do you know um, why your your friend thought that this series was series was needed right now, or why? He yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I think well, I, I I think I can answer it for the Book of Revelation. I personally think one of the reasons why people have a hard time understanding Revelation is that they don't really know the Old Testament well enough to see how not only that there are that these what appear to us as fantastical images uh, aren't created anew by the author of Revelation, but actually has an ancient um, Old Testament and even ancient Near Eastern kind of background to it. Yeah. So, um, so I think I think that's also I think it's also true for the other New Testament books 
that the more you understand how the Old Testament resonates in those books, the more you'll understand the book. And I guess another reason why is some Christians live by the faulty thinking that we don't need the Old Testament, that mm -hmm. somehow, yeah. uh, you know, the Old Testament is not something that Christians need to regard highly. And my response to that is you can't really understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament. That's true. Mm -hmm. That's true. Yeah. yeah I, I found that uh, once you've spent any real time studying some of the Old Testament prophets and stuff, um, seeing how some other people interpret Revelation can be really frustrating. And yeah. That make it to our patron exclusive pet peeves segment. Not sure, but listener, you should probably head over to Patreon to find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there are. There are so many debated sections of Revelation. Uh, we thought it might be helpful to start the discussion with our newly revived speed round segment. I think you've done one before. Yeah. Yeah. So the rules are pretty straightforward. If you've never heard this before, we're going to ask a series of questions. And all we ask is that you, Dr. Longman, try to answer each one in a single sentence. And we are not allowed to ask follow-up questions. Are you ready? Oh, great. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay, I'm ready. Who wrote Revelation? John. But what? we don't know which, which John. <laughs> right. What type of literature is the book of Revelation? It's a book that can be described as apocalyptic, like the book of Daniel. Or it's also a letter. The whole book's a letter, even though it has seven letters at the beginning. And it's also prophecy. So any one of those, all three of those uh, literary categories are appropriate. Uh, is this a literal telling of the future? No. Who is the Beast of Revelation? Uh, well, the Beast of Revelation, the there's a sea beast and a land beast that, you know, so in Revelation 12, it talks about the dragon who very clearly is serpent. And then the, the sea beast seems to represent, uh, you know, evil human power. Uh, at the time it was written, probably the Emperor of Rome, and then the land beast is kind of the associate promoting the the sea beast. That's a long sentence. It is. <laughs> uh, do you hold more to a pre, mid, or post-tribulation view? No. All right. <laughs> Are you more of a, a preterist, an idealist, a classical dispensationalist, futurist, or a progressive dispensationalist? I'm, I think I'm probably closest to what you're describing as, well, no, it's, I'm a preterist, presentist, and futurist when it comes to the book of Revelation. <laughs> Who are the 144,000? They are the people of God. What, when, and where is heaven slash hell? Um, I, I don't know whether we should talk about physical location, but um, I think heaven is the new earth. New heavens and the new earth. Um, hell is a place of judgment. I'm pretty sure hell is in Ohio, but uh, what is the seventh still? <laughs> uh, it's uh, the culminating judgment in the first series of judgments that act like cycles throughout the book. Who is the Antichrist? Let's see. <laughs> um, <laughs> ones who are against Christ. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but if you mean who is the ultimate Antichrist, we won't know until it happens. So All don't right. try to so don't try to guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's it for the speed round. You you survived another one. I think so that's the you. longest one ever. So.
<laughs> You're welcome. I have long sentences. No, I mean by question number. Oh, okay. Um, there you yeah. go. I um, yeah, it's not the longest take anyone took. Because that <laughs> okay. was one that was like several minutes long. I don't think they understood the sentence part. <laughs> um, but this isn't a follow-up question. It's a follow-up statement. No one said this wasn't allowed. I really appreciate that he said ones and just, you know, did a little nod at remembering, reminding everyone that uh, there's more than one Antichrist. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that being said, Dr. Longman, now that we got through the uh, the hot questions, what everyone likes to think about, I, I kind of want to get more to the substance of what your book is about. How do you think that I know you already kind of touched on this, but how do you think an Old Testament understanding more specifically, how could it help understanding the literature of Revelation? Well, I think the first sort of major point gets to the idea that what we're reading here is not some kind of literal description of things that are going to happen in the future, that uh, that Revelation participates in a genre of literature that is similar to Daniel. And there are also some apocalyptic texts outside the Bible, because the Bible doesn't create new genres of literature. It uses well-known genres in order to communicate its message. So one of the things, understanding that background, is to realize that as the book of Revelation is describing the future, it's not doing so literally. It's using uh, figurative language. It's pointing to things that are going to actually happen, but it's describing it in a figurative way. So, for instance, in Revelation chapter 1, uh, it describes the return of Christ as Christ riding on a cloud, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that derives most, most directly from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, where we see one like the Son of Man being commissioned by the Ancient of Days to go out and destroy the beasts that represent you know, evil human kingdoms. Um, and then in Revelation 19, 11 and following, you get a picture of Jesus not on a cloud, but riding a horse with the sword coming out of his mouth and bringing judgment. So, so I think um, we have to be sensitive to how the author intended for us to understand his message. And, uh, and not and there are different ways of treating it literally. I mean, Hal Lindsey back in the seventies, uh, if you, you guys are too young to remember mm -hmm. Hal Lindsey back in the seventies, but he's kind of a Heard infamous about. character. You know, he'll talk about the locusts being references. I think the Chinese helicopters or something like that. That something like that, and that's a too kind of realistic um, interpretation of figurative language so if you um if you remember not only the old testament background but the type of literature revelation intends to be you won't press things literally including the numbers of revelation right. yeah here's so, a lot so what are the some what are some of the biggest mistakes or misunderstandings that you think people have because they don't always take the old testament into account contextually well i think first of all the idea that you tend to treat things more literally. Uh, I think secondly, because the, because the images are strange to us, we make the mistake of thinking they were strange to the original audience. 
Uh, and then it allows some interpreters, particularly popular preachers, say on Sunday morning television shows, to kind of exploit that ignorance in order to um, to uh, suggest what I would think are kind of outlandish uh, approaches to the book of Revelation, including treating it as a kind of apocalyptic calendar, as if you can read a book like Revelation or any other part of the Bible and get an indication of, say, when Christ is coming back again. Um, it's If you understand the ancient setting of Revelation, you understand that the book is not intending to tell you or give you any kind of information to be able to set a date. Uh, and, and let me put it this way. Actually, every every era uh, fits the description <laughs> of Revelation or the signs of the time, say in the little apocalypses of Mark 13, every every generation because until Christ comes back again it will look like evil's in control It'll, and so um, so beware of people who try to use the Bible and revelation in particular to say well Christ is coming back in the next five years or this has to be the end of time or you think we'd learn our lesson since that's been done since time memorial uh, I'm pretty sure it's tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. what did Luther say if you knew that uh, Christ was coming tomorrow? Do you remember what he said? Nope. He said, if you know Christ is coming tomorrow, plant an apple tree today. And what he meant was basically we shouldn't be, you know, living, uh, you know, we, we should be living our ordinary everyday lives until Christ comes again, even if we think he's coming tomorrow. I once, by the way, I once uh, quoted that line, fortunately not in print, and I said cherry tree, and then I realized I confused George Washington and Martin Luther. <laughs> That's some of the guys. <laughs> and yeah. cherry trees weren't even introduced in Europe at that time. Yeah, that's kind of weird. <laughs> hey, so this is this is oddly specific and random of me, but these chapters always uh, stood out to me. So I kind of just want your take. How does Isaiah, the Isaiah 24 through 27, how does that play a part in Revelation? Yeah, yeah, no, I think Isaiah 24 to 27 is often called Isaiah's apocalypse. Mm -hmm. And it can be debated whether it technically is or not. I wrote about this way back in my doctoral dissertation. <laughs> but um, it has apocalyptic features, we will say that. So, yeah, so there's... Uh, there is similar type of, of um, use of figurative language to describe a future cosmic uh, judgment. So I think it's Isaiah 27.1 mentions the slaying yeah. of the Leviathan. Yeah, is yeah. That, is a sea dragon the same thing in Revelation or is that two different things? Well, that that's a great point. So in one sense, yes. And in one sense, no. <laughs> I would say mostly <laughs> yes in the sense that so first of all, you have to ask the question, what's Leviathan in Isaiah 27, 1? Um, and, and here's where knowing the Old Testament context is really important because Isaiah 27, 1 is actually uh, basically a quote from an ancient Canaanite text written in a language called Ugaritic, hmm. except it says, Baal slays 
the twisty, turny serpent, you know, whose name is Lothon, which is the Ugaritic equivalent to Leviathan. And in Ugaritic literature, um, Leviathan is a seven-headed sea monster. In Psalm 74, verse 12, uh, it talks about Leviathan as having many heads. Yeah. So, so basically, Leviathan is the sea monster imagery, which the Old Testament is utilizing from its broader ancient Near Eastern context to indicate evil, mm-hmm. you know, and I would say personified evil. And so the book of Revelation utilizes that imagery in when it talks about um, when it talks about the in Revelation 13, the seven headed sea monster. Okay. So. So, yes, <laughs> but I, they they are the same in that they are figurative depictions of e- the evil that God defeats. OK, interesting. Okay, so you mentioned some there, uh, and I know you kind of hinted at this earlier, but in in this work, you don't only talk about Revelation through Old Testament eyes. You also kind of talk about the other context and influences on the book. Um, specifically, you mentioned some from the Roman world. Yeah. So outside of the Old Testament and, you know, some of this Roman world stuff, what what do you think, how could understanding these contexts help people before getting into studying Revelation? Yeah, so I probably quoted this before in a previous podcast, maybe not. I actually uh, mm-hmm. borrow it from my friend John Walton, uh, that when we studied the Bible, we have to remember that the Bible was not written to us. No book of the Bible was written when the author sat down and said, I'm going to write for the ages. They sat down to <laughs> write to their contemporaries. Um and, you know, obvious examples include, say, the Book of Romans. You know, they call the Book of Romans the Book of Romans because it's a letter written to the church at Rome. And we could go <laughs> through different biblical books and talk about the contemporary audiences that are in the mind of the author. The case of Revelation, it is, of course, those persecuted, marginalized, uh, humiliated Christians who need to be encouraged. And that's while I'm thinking about it, let me point out that apocalyptic is different from prophecy. So Jeremiah and Daniel, uh, Daniel, Jeremiah on the one hand, Daniel and Revelation on the other hand, while having a number of similarities, including, you know, talking about the future, talk about the future for different reasons. Um, so uh, Jeremiah is talking about the future in order to make his audience uncomfortable. He's addressing sinners in the covenant community and saying, if you don't repent, then this is your future. Whereas John Mm. and Daniel are also talking to their contemporaries and they're saying, this is the future and this should make you happy, (laughs) you know, because it's describing a future where, again, uh, God wins. God defeats those evil those evil uh, people and kingdoms and institutions that are so uh, harming you. So with that background in mind, then, of course, we should know something about what's going on at the time period of John, the Greco-Roman background, as well as the Old Testament, because his his readers would have been really, uh, you know, immersed 
in in the Hebrew scriptures. And they would kind of naturally, just like we kind of know our culture, so they would know their culture. But we're distanced from that culture. And even though we don't, even though the books of the Bible weren't written to us, they were still written for us. They're, the reason why we recognize them as canon, our standard of faith and practices, we recognize that God is speaking not just to that contemporary audience, but through the ages. All right. So do you think there's any way that clearing up the confusion around Revelation could help better maintain the unity of the church? Well, yeah, well, I, I, I do think, you know, where we started with the picture in Revelation 7 uh, ought to be something we always should keep in mind, that, that we're not just a single tribe, shall we say, <laughs> uh, but that the church is drawn from many different nations, many different tribes, uh, many different perspectives on different matters. I mean, even Democrats and Republicans say, <laughs> and as, and then that doesn't mean we can't have disagreements with each other, but we need to have disagreements as brothers and sisters and not as enemies <laughs> uh, to be treated with contempt. So I, I would start there. And then I would say um, that um, I think if we get the basic message of the book of Revelation, uh, that ought to encourage us, uh, us all to unity. Because what's really important <laughs> is uh, is that Jesus is coming again, and he's going to save his people and bring him to himself and bring us into a better life described as new heavens and new earth or the new Eden, the new Jerusalem of Revelation 21 and 22. All right. Yeah. So definitely. Uh, what was the hardest part of writing this book? Um, gosh. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, just it's with such a rich topic, it's hard to know how much to include. You know, I, I, um, I also wanted to make the book accessible. Um, there's some really good technical studies of the book of, of the Old Testament in the book of Revelation, which are extremely helpful, but they're um, not real accessible. And I, I actually tried to, well, I certainly didn't read those books up front. I wanted to kind of work through it on my own. Not necessarily, I'm not an expert on, Reve I wasn't an expert on Revelation when I started, but I was an expert on the Old Testament when I started. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't want to read a whole bunch of other people and just kind of summarize what they were saying. But my guess is uh, that there's a, a lot of overlap because those other scholars who are good scholars probably recognize similar things as I did. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but not always. I hope I brought out some new perspectives and insights as well. And I think I did. Yeah, there's only one way for us to find out. And uh, a good way to start would be us buying the book. So where do we go to do that? Amazon.com's the easiest way. <laughs> Sorry, I know every, every Amazon's all over the place. Oh, yeah. But ChristianBooks.com, um, wherever you buy your books, uh, <laughs> if it's online. Uh, so yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, we, we like to give people <laughs> options other than the mega corporation. Just yeah, sure, sure. Yeah. Oh, there's some really good Christian bookstores. I'm, so I'm not promoting Amazon. I'm just. Yeah. But man, it's convenient. Yeah. 
It is convenient. Yeah, that's right. I, I found through a lot of my other Revelation commentaries that I've read and, or you know, just got my hands on, a lot of them rely a lot on tradition and other stuff. And I, I think that a lot of times it's the sum of the same conclusions, but seeing it directly related to the Old Testament uh, shines a new light on it in way of it makes Revelation seem less intimidating, I guess, rather than some yeah. commentaries that do the, well, so-and-so said, and he got that from so-and-so, who got that yeah. from, and I'm, yeah. I just want to tell me, tell me what it is. <laughs> so that's one thing I really appreciated about this. Um, Dr. Longman, you know, there's one question we always ask, and we've asked you this twice, so you have to keep coming up with creative answers <laughs> to the same question. <laughs> yeah. What one single tangible action would you tell our listeners today that they could do that would help maintain unity in the church, just something practical, what could they do? Well, I I would say, first of all, pray for a willing heart to do so, you know, mm-hmm. to, to ask God to put in our hearts and our minds a, um, a an openness to loving others in the church, even those with whom we may disagree. Amen. All right. Yeah. Uh, what do you think we would see happen? What, what do you think we would see change in the church if we all did that? I, I think that people would be, and again, I, I don't want to say that we can't interact with each other where we differ, but we will treat each other with respect and dignity. And also, I guess as part of that is the recognition that the speck in the other person's eye is not uh, equal to the plank in our own eyes, right? right? If you approach disagreements with that mindset, I think, uh, maybe, I don't know. I'm, That's hard. Another thing, another thing might be choose your social media <laughs> resources carefully. And if you're finding somebody, if you're reading somebody who's constantly pointing out the problems of others, then maybe you at least need to supplement it with making sure you understand where that other person is coming Mm -hmm. from. All right. As always, good answers. Uh, Now we turn to our God moment segment, which I know you've heard before, but if you're joining us for the first time today, uh, this is where we like to take a minute to share what all God's been up to with us recently by sharing a blessing challenge, moment of worship, any of those things where you saw God in your life. And always make Josh go first to give us as much time as we need. So Josh, do you have a God moment for us today? You know, this is going to be a weird one. I like those. Um, I've started the beginnings of a butterfly garden at the side of my house, just kind of planting stuff that butterflies like and, you know, help them with their life cycle, doing like a whole little ecosystem over there. And uh, it was really interesting. I've I've not seen a ton of butterflies yet because everything's still new, but I I watched there be a spider that was just kind of claiming the one bush. And I was like, yeah, I just watched him. Didn't do anything about it. And then, uh, you know, I thought maybe that'd be bad for the butterflies. I don't know. A week later, there's a big praying mantis there, and now there's no spider. <laughs> I'm like, oh, well, that's cool. And uh, I say all that just because sometimes it's nice just to see nature work itself out, and it just reminds me that, you know, God had a plan. Hopefully we're playing a responsible part of it. Maybe not, but sometimes it's just nice to see God had a plan and just to watch nature be nature. Yeah, I, I thought for sure that was going to be a bird story. <laughs> but that also would have been bad for the butterflies. <laughs> All right, yeah, uh, I'll go next. Helped, <laughs> yeah, all right, I'll go next. Uh, recently, uh, five days ago ish, my general manager uh, had a surgery on her throat. She didn't tell us any of this beforehand, 
Uh, she told her she was going to surgery, but not for what? And they removed five tumors from her throat successfully. She's well, good, good, but she wasn't allowed to talk for five days. Like couldn't talk at all, which was, I mean, you know, I'm not, that's a, you know, that was a, you have to tell your crew though. <laughs> yeah. But she's doing great. I, I think she can talk as of today. So we love that for her I and the rest of us, I guess. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's great to see God work his magic. You know, it's just too it's, tough for her own good. Five tumors. But, wow. uh, Dr. Longman, do you have a, a God moment for us? Yeah, um, I guess it's a two-day moment in that um, on, I think it was June 6th, no, June 12th, my eighth granddaughter was born. And on June 18th, my 96-year-old mother died. So, um, but, and both of them were responses to prayer because my 96-year-old mother had gotten in a very seriously bad way she hadn't eaten for 15 days and was just kind of in a coma but it was lovely in that life and death um even six months ago before my mother began her serious decline they had already decided to give her my mother's middle name so adeline jane uh longman was born and mary jane longman died so but my mother was a christian so we know she's in a better, much better place. Right. We love to hear that, especially for someone who got to live their whole life, you know, yeah. not much you missed yeah. out on. Yeah, that's right. 96. <laughs> very, very thankful she had that long of life. Yeah. Right. So uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or an enemy. You always have that option. You can share it with a cousin. Might consider yeah. that route. Preferably. Preferable. It, it would help us out a lot. We really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't help us as so much if you share it with a friend as it does if you share it with a cousin. It helps a lot more. Not yeah. for any particular reason. We just prefer cousins. Um, <laughs> guys, if you want to hear TJ and I a little bit more, and you want to hear us talk about some geeky stuff like uh, Buzz Lightyear's old cartoon show or Pokemon or whatever, you could go over to systematicgeekology.org, hit host. Both of us are on there. You'll see all the shows that we've done. We just talk about geeky stuff and how it relates to theology. So... Fun stuff. Yeah, and if you just want to support the whole church more, uh, head on over to Patreon, slide us a couple dollars, and you'll be able to listen to our whole church news episodes uh, where we just cover kind of what's been going on in the church around the world over the past month or so. Uh, thank you for listening to the whole church podcast. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Longman. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Coming up, we'll be having interviews with Chad M. Mansbridge, a pastor of Bayside Church in Southern Australia, about his book, You Can Handle the Truth. Then we'll have back your favorite traveling preacher of Indiana, Brandon Knight. After that, we'll be having another roundtable discussion because uh, there's nothing we love more than just putting seven dudes on an episode and making you figure <laughs> out which person is speaking at the time. Uh, this time we'll be talking about when we should all sit with people and acknowledge their pain as real and when we should or shouldn't contextualize the truth. And at the end of season one, as always, we will have Francis Chan joining us. Yeah, that'll be a fun time as soon as he finds out that it's happening. Yep. I, I, as yeah. soon as he gets the invitation and agrees, that's when yeah. season one ends. So. One day, eventually. One day. Yeah. One more day, one more dawn. Listen, listen, listener. I never thought we'd have Dr. Longman on here, so... You know, just wait and see. Very glad to be on with you guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Whole Church Podcast.
Join us again next week for another roundtable discussion where we will be talking about when, as church leaders, we should sit with someone's hurt as opposed to arguing what is or is not truth to them. And remember, you could always support the show on patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast for $3 a month.